I really feel like Billy Butcher is like the world's worst cuck. <laughs> you know, like he's just he's just been cuckolded in the worst way possible. You know, he's believed that his wife was raped and like she died and you know all this mm-hmm. horrible stuff. And maybe maybe and she comes was, to find out but... that. Well, I mean, I don't know. What I saw led me to believe that it wasn't the case. Broadcasting live from inside the power band. This is the blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, the Wolverine, along with Prototrope Jarhigo. Hello, everybody. And the elusive algorithm. What's up, everybody? So we've got all kinds of exciting things to talk about this week, folks. Uh, we will be primarily focusing on the Amazon Prime original series adapted from the comic book series titled The Boys, starring in this episode favorite Carl Urban. Ooh. Gang, are we excited to talk about this or what? He didn't have two M sixteens, but Carl Urban was in the movie, in the show. Oh yes, he was the M sixteens. And yes, yeah. we are excited, Kev. We are excited. Yes, of course. <laughs> We're pumped, man. So pumped. Right on. I know this was a um, God, such a really well done show, and absolutely. I for the folks at home, I know that these two nerds, at least one of them, has read all of the comics. I haven't read any of the comics, so this is going to be uh, an interesting discussion, to say the least. My only initial comment about the comics is, don't ever read the comics. <laughs> oh my god! There you go, folks. You heard it from the horse's mouth. The horse's ass. Algorithm has spoken. And there's the member of the podcast that read all of the comics. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Um, but before we get into that, guys, let's talk about um, a couple of things. I wanted to just, I had a couple of mentions about last week's episode, which I, as you both well know, which is well documented in the podcast, is that I thoroughly enjoyed talking about Escape from New York because <laughs> I was doing it at spaz levels. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. There's definitely a riddle and prescription on the way before I interrupted you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I I was only I was happy that you outspazzed me about that episode. <laughs> wow, thank you, Ben. I appreciate that. I was I was very happy to be able to sort of take like a, you know, like backseat in Cabby's cab and and not you uh, you know. Duh, I like what you did there, dude. Not, not <laughs> not go down in the perfect in half cab explosion going over that bridge. No way, man! Yeah. You were you were sitting in the back of the half cab, just chilling it, dude, and I was just ge- nerding out. I was. I just I just got out. And I was like, "All right, what's next?" And in this metaphor, Kev is cabby in the front of the cab who died via the perfectly cut in half explosion. Exactly. He, perhaps. Exactly yes. right. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, one thing, and and this was like a pretty large item. And this is why I wanted to sort of just revisit the Escape from New York <laughs> world for a second. Was the one thing that I I didn't talk about that I wanted to talk about that I think was really important is the, is the poster for the film. Oh yeah. When you look at the original poster, yeah, you know where I'm going with this, Jar Hugo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The original poster for the film shows, you know, our titular hero and, you know, various other characters. And then there is a giant head of the Statue of Liberty laying down in the background as if it to, you know, insinuate that 
it has been toppled, a la Planet of the Apes. But in fact, yeah. that is not the case. Yeah, I, I remember seeing the movie poster for that and being like, oh my God, I, like, you know, it's like that that scene. <laughs> there, there's like a scene there, you know, like the fucking Statue of Liberty's head, like just laying in the middle of the street between, you know, like a, a block of buildings or whatever, and everybody's running away from it. And I'm like, like holy fuck, that's going to be amazing. And then it just never happens. <laughs> yeah. Turns out that like, it's just not part of the movie. Yeah. It never happened because we see in the beginning of Escape from New York, like as I was going on my diatribe about Tom Atkins and his smoking habit, there, there's a huge wide shot pan of him, you know, he's walking into the command center and they pan up and there's a helicopter flying overhead and you can clearly see every single inch of the Statue of Liberty. So it's just ridiculous. It's like a full shot of, of a beautifully intact statue <laughs> Yeah, not a scratch on it, man. <laughs> nothing, like nothing. Not yeah. It's much like uh, the Duke's chandeliers. Not a scratch on them. Not a scratch. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, was there anything else about that uh, film or in that episode you guys wanted to mention before we sort of move on to other things? I think the um yeah was the perfect close to that uh, thread, that particular brain thread. Let's keep it there then. So I just want to take a break and talk about uh, another podcast. And we want to talk about it for a minute. And it's very relaxing. And the name of that podcast is The Empty Bowl. And this is so good. Chad, Chad turned us on to it. I finally listened to one of them this past week and I absolutely fell in love with it. It is the most relaxing podcast I've literally ever listened to, and I wish they were A, longer, and B, there was more of them. Dude, I, I don't even eat cereal anymore, and I love the show. I, same here. I can't eat cereal, and I love that show. <laughs> so It's so amazing. Uh, Jarhigo, did you have a chance to listen to this? <laughs> you know, um, I've been meaning to go to the supermarket and buy some, uh, <laughs> some monster cereal, because I am totally... F- I'm totally fine with eating cereal as long as I'm using, you know, like almond milk or, you know, some such thing. Oh, my God. That's so not what I thought you were going to say. I love it. I mean, really, I mean, I don't need to, I don't need to be eating sugary cereals. But honestly, um, when I listened to that whole thing, I was like, God damn it. I got to go down there and get my ass and fucking count Chagula. I got to get some... (laughs) I got to get some Frankenberry. I got to get some Booberry. I got to have some of that shit. I love that stuff. Like, I used to love that stuff, man. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It really is. <laughs> but at, at Chad's suggestion, thank you, Chad. You're welcome. I, I did I did give that a listen, and my God, it is really, it, there's something really satisfying about that podcast, isn't there? Like, just... Absolutely. It's just so delightfully calming, and there's something delightful about listening to them talk about cereal. Yeah, it's it's everything to me. It's the way they speak, their style of speaking, their, the cadence of their voices. The ocean waves. The tone, um, the ocean waves, their absolute passion for cereal just comes right through the mic, out of the mic, and into my bowl. And I I think it's great. I listen to those on the way home from work. And, like, I look forward to, like, 
throwing one of those on. I'm driving home and it's like the perfect amount of time for my drive home. And it's like, oh man, this is just great. I just love it. And I, I, the first thing I thought of actually when I listened to it, I was like, because I, my big thing when I kind of stopped eating cereal was I was big into mixing cereals. Like that was sort of next level for me, you know, like. That's genius. I never even considered that. No, I never, I never did. I never did. I know. I didn't either for the longest time. And and then you do it and you're like, wow, why didn't I think about this before? You know? So um, I used to mix cereals like, I mean, they talk about a lot of cereals like sugary cereals, like candy cereals that I, I don't really eat anymore. Like donuts or freaking Captain Crunch. Yeah. Like powdered donuts from Hostess, the Pop-Tart cereal, the Crave cereals, the, you know, the Lucky Charms variants, the Captain Crunch variants, like my God, I didn't even realize there was so much out there. Um, but when I was into cereals at the end, I was buying like a lot of organic cereals. And I would, you know, if I found one that I liked or two that I liked, I was like, let's try to mix them together. That was my big thing was being a mixologist, you know, like mixing blueberry morning with <laughs> strawberry fields and then like, you know, adding in fresh fruit to it or whatever. So I'm kind of picturing you like Tom Cruise cocktail with like a martini shaker with cereals and stuff in your underwear. That's but what I'm Emma, picturing. You're talking about like from Cocktail, the movie? Yeah, yeah. So yep. in that in that respect, I would either have to be flipping cereal boxes or Ooh, yeah. bowls with milk in them into the air and then catching them and filling them with cereal or something. No, I think you're flipping cereal boxes and then catching them on the bottom corners and then tipping them into a martini shaker that already has milk in it. God damn it. And then shaking it. them all together. That is so beautiful, man. Well said. You, you, know there's, you know there's some waxy, twirly, mustached hipster out there <laughs> right <laughs> now at that. this very moment. It's like, I have like a restaurant where I mix cereals. Fuck you guys. Like... Dude, speaking of which, I've seen some really successful food trucks. All they do is sell cereal. I, I actually was thinking about how great it would be to start a restaurant that just involved cereal only, like a cereal bar. That's pretty sick. Yeah, it's a great idea, man. Have a cereal bar? It's like, come on, dude. Oh, shit. Kev, uh, considering the nature of uh, the the uh, pre-conversation we're having right now, I, I saw something this week. Uh, actually, I saw it earlier, and I, I forgot to mention it to you. I know you're a huge fan of the movie Chef. Oh God, yes, absolutely. Have you seen the uh, the Netflix series? Are you referring to the Chef Show? Yeah. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah, it's dude. It's so good. I've, I'm watching all of them right now. Dude, I love that. That's oh, great. Amazing. Oh I my God, <laughs> so good. Okay, I gotta see that because I loved that film. I've been watching them like. I watched them when they first came out, the first like five episodes, maybe like two or three months ago. And then the second season or whatever came out a couple days or weeks, or I noticed it a couple days ago. And last night, last night we finished one, and the next one is at Skywalker Ranch, and I'm pretty pumped for it. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome, man. So, so let me get this straight. Is it, is it all Favreau? Is he the host of the show? Yes, yeah, Favreau and uh, fuck, what's his name? Is it Roy Choi? No, Fav, Fav Roy Choi. Yeah, Fav, Favreau's mentor, who basically trained him up for the movie, who was an actual chef who did like Kogi tacos or whatever. He was he was the inspiration for the movie, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should really check out that show, Kev, if you get a chance. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to. I've seen it on Netflix. I just wasn't 100% sure what it was. But now that I know that it's basically an extension of the movie, I'm even more excited. Yeah, it's cool. Okay, so there you have it, folks. Uh, I mean, unless there's any more nerd news that we need to throw out there, you've got a podcast and a show to check out. The Chef Show, which I'm definitely going to check out, thanks to uh, Jar Higo for recommending that. And uh, again, I, as I've said before, I've become an acolyte of the Empty Bowl, folks. If you're not listening to Justin and Dan on the Empty Bowl you need to improve your life. So start listening to it. You can find find it virtually anywhere. Check it out. All right. So let's get to the main event, The Boys. Um, as we said, Amazon Prime starring Carl Urban and a plethora of other absolutely wonderful, talented actors that we'll get to a little bit later. Um, Chad, why don't you kick it off since you read the comic? You want to talk about um, differences? Yeah. I mean... At a high level, I, I loved the show and was really curious about the source material because I haven't shut up over the last 10 episodes about how <laughs> it seems I'm more and more interested in source material being elevated. Yeah. Um, so I was just like super curious where the stories came from. And I don't think during the first watch of the show, I was aware that it was Garth Ennis. I don't recall it in the credits, but he's one of the creators of Preacher, which is a fantastic comic, which is really also a very strange, bizarre, and ridiculous comic. That's uh, that's now a show that Benny's spoken about a few times. And a terrific show. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really curious where the source material was all about and checked it out. And I couldn't have been more disappointed, really. It was really just fell really flat. And I guess like without getting into great detail, um, the show kind of scraped a few interesting bits out of the comic and the overall premise, generally speaking, and then wove it into a really amazing story in the way that it unfolded and built up tensions and all the character arcs and stuff. So, you know, some of the key differences with the, with the comic is the comic is super juvenile, like ridiculously juvenile. Hmm. I think like being inappropriate just for the sake of being inappropriate. Like one of the things that that um, that Garth Ennis, I believe, is quoted to have saying is that the comic out preachers preacher, which is kind of a way of saying that it just goes from the ridiculous preacher and like goes to eleven. You know, um, so a couple of examples of the juvenile nature of the comic is um, Butcher pays a hotel clerk to jerk off under Huey's door every day. So there's just like constant bloody semen under his door. Um, Huey, Huey, the first time Huey hooks up with Starlight, he goes down on her and gets period blood all over his face and everyone laughs at him about it. Oh yeah. Okay. There's like a, there's like a, a hero group that's all like, you know, African American members and they're all just like super stereotyped out and like, you can imagine exactly the kind of interactions they would have if the 15 year old wrote it. Um, M&M's wife, M&M's wife is a crackhead and the 13 year old daughter's a porn star. Like, it's just like so dumb. All this stuff is just so not relevant to the story and just, it's super eye rolling. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that totally makes sense. Yeah. I, I had no idea. (laughs) I really had no idea. Yeah. Same, same. And like, it kind of tainted my second viewing of the show a little bit, not really, but just a little bit. Maybe because, like, there are things that I'm not going to talk about because it might spoil the second season of the show. Um, And, like, at the end of the first season of the show, like, first time you watch it, like, I really wonder where they're going to go with this, you know? So um, the fact that it's so different from the comic makes me optimistic that they'll just go their own direction. But 
Who knows? Hmm. Wow. That is so not what I thought you were going to say about the comic. I was just very surprised with how all over the place the comic was, considering how tight the show is, I guess. The show is so tight, man. It sounds like it's sort of trying to be controversial for the sake of being controversial. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the the last thing I would say about the comic, the 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 important differences between the comic and the show are um one relating to the story uh, in terms of how the pilot episode, the first episode of the show unfolded. Um I really liked how Homelander is set up as a saint and then blows that plane up at the end of the first episode. It's a really interesting bait and switch that really hooked me into the show. And yeah. in the um Agreed. in the comic He's the person who assaults Starlight. It wasn't the deep. Ooh. So like the the opening kind of intro with Homelander is he's assaulting Starlight, which whatever in terms of story, but I like that they changed it because it the the show with him being, you know, at one point Butcher's like, "Oh, he's a saint." And then it goes to him blowing up the planet. Really, like you're like, oh shit, they're all screwed up. You know, I really like the way that they changed that up. Well, it's interesting how I mean to that point. I mean, firstly, the opening of the series in the first episode was really, really well done. And then, you know, by the three quarters of the way through the first episode, you're in that shady club where they all go to like have hedonistic sex and do all that crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, so we, and he blows up the plane. So it's like, we, we get that taste. Like it's a pretty big pill we get right there in the first episode. For sure, and it's like even more so than the Watchmen. I think it does a good job of of um, putting a new spin on the superhero thing. Where if you give a group of people godlike abilities, they're probably going to end up more corrupted than heroic. And I think it was a great way to enter that idea and an interesting an interesting take on superheroes, considering how many hundreds of superhero shows and movies there are now. Oh my God, it was such a great interesting take on superheroes like you know like like they say in you know in the i think episode four or five billy says you know you still haven't figured out their one weakness their reputations you know it's like they all that's really what it's all about it's like they're you know i think i don't know if it was in the show or if it was in the commentary i was reading with the showrunner um and he was saying how they're untrained they have no military training they don't know how to fly planes. They don't really know how to do anything. They're not even that well trained in their with their own powers, you know? Yeah. They just kick ass. Yeah, no, they, they go in there and they kick ass. Exactly. It's a thread it's a thread that they actually push in the comic pretty hard. Like there's like a, a throwback to the first time they're introduced in World War Two and everyone just dies. Like they just kill all these soldiers and they're like, yeah, actually maybe we need to train these guys a bit better. So it was interesting that, that that commentary touched on that because the show, I mean, I kind of didn't pick up on that in the show. I was just kind of like, Oh, they don't care. They're killing everybody versus the training thing. But I think it's an interesting piece. Yeah. I don't know. I think that was in the behind the scenes commentary that he said that it must've been. Cause I, I agree with you actually, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I didn't pick that up in the show either. Like, I mean, sort of. It was sort of like looming in the background, but I wasn't really sure, you know. And then it, it, it's not really till the till the end, like the last two, three episodes. Like they're they're all really coming unglued, you know. Like that's what I was something I was thinking about this evening was how, you know, a lot of it is about watching these super people like completely come undone and come unglued, like yeah. And they're just yeah, they're all twisted, horrible. 
And I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that like choosing to have a person like Starlight come in as the, like you've got Huey as the everyman, which I suppose, you know, a lot of the viewers would identify with. And you've got Starlight as kind of like the, the not naive, but perceived as naive kind of pure of heart, actual hero. Uh-huh. So you, you kind of have interesting. You have an interesting superhero to maybe not identify with as a guy. You know, as a guy, don't identify with Starlight, but like you have a lot of respect for her. Star Starlight isn't corrupted yet. You know, she's she's still yeah. She wants to do the right thing. Still, she's not. She doesn't want yeah. to engage in. All she's the still bullshit. literally yeah. heroic. Yeah, yeah. And she does. And she does. She maintains. Man, that's the that's sort of the beauty of it. You know, like that's why she's such a great character, man. Because she does maintain through the entirety of at least the entirety of the first season. I mean, I'm dying to see where they go with it in the second season. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything about this show. Like, I I saw it, and you know, like as we've gushed about numerous times, the the uh, the folks at home will know that we are uh, certainly Jarhigo and myself are just huge Carl Urban fans. So when I saw that there was a show with Carl Urban, and I was like, well, I'm definitely watching that. I don't even know what it is, you know. But I actually thought that Carl Urban, and I didn't know it was adapted from a comic book at, at the beginning either. I thought Carl Urban was part of a bunch of people that had superpowers. And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds really cool. But, I mean, it it's just another layer to the whole show that it's like the supers are really like the evil people. And it's like the humans are really the ones that are stepping up to be the heroes, like to take all of this shit and go through this shit storm, come out clean on the other end, trying to uncover this entire thing, you know, so that everybody can be sort of free of it, you know? Yeah. The, the, the whole, I mean, the whole premise of, of, the Carl Urban aspect is to sort of expose the corruption, right? Exactly. Yeah. So through vengeance, though, which was an interesting twist as well. Yeah, through through sort of like a yeah, like a weird reverse vigilante sort of. <laughs> you know, what what is it when you're you're killing the the heroes? It's weird. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but the like to touch on that to touch on that starlight thing again, like she is the actual only person who's approaching anything in the show with like a pureness of intent. Like every other character and group is, is twisted in some way. Like even the boys are set on vengeance and the heroes are set on their um, reputations. Like you mentioned Kev. So true. There really is only one character in the entire thing. That's, that's not, doesn't have a, a negative agenda, I suppose. Ooh, nice. Yes. Well said. You're right. Starlight is that person. Uh, and I'm touching on what you were saying a second ago, Ben, like you said she isn't corrupt yet or whatever, whatever words you use. And I think, you know, that that's kind of like you could see them really stumbling with the show in a couple of seasons if they go the wrong direction with Starlight, a la Game of Thrones. Like, uh, it's interesting that she's the only one that's that's pure of heart. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see how they handle it, because they could go a lot of different directions with this at this point. Right. I mean, mm. You know, we've sort of just been the stage has been set for us at this point in the show. Um, well, the stage has been set, but they also dropped a major bomb in the last like two seconds of the last episode. There are a lot of ways they could take this, Ben, but I think, you know, as you said, Kev, the fact that they threw a bomb into the room with the last scene 
it doesn't limit the options, but it certainly spiced up the end of the season. It definitely did, and I, I'm dying to talk about that part in particular, but we can wait until we get to the end for sort of going chronologically. Nah, we don't need to go chronologically. I say just let's go with the flow. We haven't gotten into a we haven't even we haven't gotten into it yet, really. I mean, yeah, exactly. But that, there's no reason why we can't jump around the place. I don't think we're going to be able to go through all eight episodes scene by scene. So by all means, I think we should touch on the things that jump out at us. <laughs> no, we're not. No, we're definitely not going to get into the minutia of it like we did with you know like a film like Escape from New York. But so I guess uh, yeah. I mean, I guess. You know, it's puzzling to me, like, you know, when we see... Okay, so I, I really enjoyed the scene where Homelander went back to see Vogelbaum. And he finds out, like, what really happened. Like, that was a great scene. And I, I really enjoyed that, uh, the acting in that scene in particular, uh, between Anthony Starr and um, the actor that played um, Vogelbaum. And I can't remember his name right now. But, um, so, then... You know, the Homelander sort of shows up and Carl Urban has rigged her to blow. Still well, yeah. Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. All he wants her to do is admit, or no, no, to, to be honest with him for once. And then that's it. He just greases her. And it's like, what? Why? I mean, he, she's like, she's the spin doctor for the whole thing. It's like, well, what are you possibly going to do without her? You know what I mean? And well, I think that that's the that's the point. I think it touches on what you were saying a second ago, where all they care about is their reputations, and all Carl Urban cared about was vengeance, and so he thought he could use her as Homelander's weakness. Right. But it turns out Homelander's weakness is his reputation, and he doesn't care about her enough to not kill her. So, like, by just being like, "Oh, I'll completely, dis- I'll completely disarm your blackmail." butcher by blasting her freaking skull with my laser eyes it 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 ruins uh it, it's almost like homelander's playing with carl urban like yeah I, I banged your wife and now what are you gonna do about it you can blow it up it doesn't i, I won't die damn okay what i what i think is that he saw in carl urban the opponent that he has not seen yet because he even says in that episode he goes you're not scared. He goes, your heart is beating fast. Sure. He goes, but you're not scared. He's like, you're angry. He's like, I've never seen this before. Mm. And I think in that moment that Carl Urban sort of became like the foe that he, you know, sort of looking for in the same sense that the Batman and the Joker exist in that way. It's like, they can't really kill each other because they need each other, you know, like that, that kind of thing. Mm. And maybe I'm not disagreeing just to finalize the thought. Maybe I'm just saying, like, yes, I agree, generally speaking, but Homelander is the cat and and um, Butcher is the mouse, you know? Like, the cat's playing with it before it kills it, you know? Like, Homelander isn't doesn't feel threatened by Butcher but wants to have a, have a play around, you know what I mean? Like, that was kind of my take on his attitude. Right. And then my sort of part two of this whole thing is that, like, we listen to Volt... So then the detonator goes off. Carl Urban has virtually no scratches on him and he's out on a lawn somewhere the sprinkler's going off now let's go back to the Vogelbaum conversation he talks about how the baby quote clawed his way out of his mother she never made it was he making that up that was that was how it happened in the comic his wife is not alive in the comic so was Vogelbaum lying to protect her and then Homelander figured it out that she was alive or what 
Well, I, I took it as uh, Vogelbaum and Stillwell agreed on that as the story to tell Homelander, and then Homelander crushed the truth out of Vogelbaum off off screen. Like I think Vogelbaum didn't make it out of that room at the end of that conversation. Yeah, yeah, hmm. I think you're right. I think you're right. And then my other okay, so then my my other question is why did she go along with that? I mean, like she was so seemingly into billy and like billy said like homelander raped my wife so what is it is it that he did rape her or he didn't rape her and she willingly went with him and she willingly willingly went with this entire thing i think it's worse than that i think she was actually into homelander same right but i I think i think he's created the story based on limited info yeah that's what i'm saying yeah well, I mean, you can see when they're at the party, uh, there's a there's scene where, where they're at a party and um, there's, you know, Homelander meets Billy Butcher and Becca, his wife. And, you know, like they're like, you can see like a sort of chemistry going on between them. Yeah, same. I think there's chemistry at the party. Homelander takes advantage and they end up hooking up and she p- potentially willingly hooks up with them, then gets knocked up, then gets paid off with a non-disclosure and Homelander doesn't find out about it because he's she's just a random person that he hooked up with. Like She might or might not have had lo- stronger feelings for him, but I just took it as like a the hookup was like an in-the-moment mistake potentially, but the NDA and all that stuff afterwards was just to kind of sweep all the problems under the rug. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to find. I would be interested to find out. But like, I really feel like Billy Butcher is like really just like the world's worst cuck. <laughs> you know, like he's just like been, he's just he's just been cuckolded in the worst way possible. Like you know, he's but like just believed that his wife was raped and like she died and you know all this mm-hmm. horrible stuff. And maybe maybe and then she comes was, to find out but- that. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, what I saw led me to believe that, like, that wasn't the case. There's a, there's an equally plausible explanation, however, that goes the opposite way, which is maybe, you know, the rape didn't did occur and Vought was like, you know, look, we'll, I'll, we'll, you know, Homelander will kill you or you can take this money and get the hell out of here. And Vogelbaum's interested in studying your kid. And you need to fuck off. And, you know, she was raped, for example, and she was paid off to to go away. And her heart is broken for Butcher. So there's there's an equally plausible argument in the other direction. But hmm. interesting. Yes. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know what it is, but I, I didn't. I took it the other way. I just took it the other way. That was that was what I thought. I did, too. Um, That's exactly that was my initial reaction. Go ahead, Ben. No, no, and, and you know, Chad, you're totally right because Vaught is basically like this sort of uh, uh, real life. Vaught is like a WWE with like <laughs> real life yeah, totally. consequences. You know, like people die and and live, and you know, like whatever, however they see sort of fit. But they're sort of like a puppeteer, you know, drama drama organization. You know, like they're they're like doing all this stuff like behind the scenes. So yeah, all of that makes perfect sense to me. That like it could have played out any way. But I gotta, I, I gotta say something. Like I, like as much as like that was my initial reaction. That like, you know, she, she went with it. I mean, he was saying to the kid, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm your dad. You know, and we're a family." And it's it's really unclear whether she's been hooking up with him on the side or feels remorseful about Billy or even knew Billy was alive. Like 
I don't know if it was like her acting choice as an actress, but like I could not tell what she was thinking when she walked outside because there was like so many different things that could be revealed depending on how she reacted. You know what I mean? Like her husband. I think she was Go ahead. surprised about something, but it's hard to tell which element she was surprised about, right? <laughs> I know, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think... I think it was pretty clear, at least on my take, that Homelander had didn't know about the baby until squeezing it out of Vogelbaum's brain. But, um, you know, she... You can imagine a scenario where she wouldn't be surprised to see Homelander again because she was paid off and he'd show up again someday. But she would potentially be surprised for Billy to show up because Vought was supposed to have, you know, taken care of him and or, you know, right. left him out of it because she was so, you know, troubled by the situation, etc. Right. So, like, she was kind of like, she looked at, I remember her looking at Homelander being like, huh, there's Homelander again. And then looking at Butcher and being like, have a really surprised, shocked kind of moment, you know? Right. Yeah, it was It was like a, she didn't expect to see either of them again, right? That's what I think, yeah. But if you had a superhero kid, you, you know you're going to come back into the fold eventually. One, one, would, one would think. I did say at the beginning of this, I did say, should we, well, why don't we, no, I said, should we, should we wait? And cover some other things chronologically. And Chad was like, no, it's fine. Go for it, dude. <laughs> and here we are like 30 minutes later. No, I'm with you. But there's one thing that we, there's one thing that we talked that, that was talked about that we didn't really get into much detail on. And it was one thing that like really hit me emotionally. And, and Homelander was scaring the fuck out of me already. You know, the fact that there's like a guy that's essentially like Superman, but he is a sociopath. Uh, kind of a yeah he's a fucking sociopath when he burns out madeline stillwell's eyes and head like that shit was just like i was like (laughs) couldn't believe it with her baby in the room yeah totally like that was that just that just like any shred of humanity he had it's gone or he might have had was gone at that point and that 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 scene like i mean it was it was really well done because it had a major emotional impact on me like it made me even more scared of that character definitely um and it was so fucking well done you know the motivation everything was there like you know you know what you knew what was going on. You knew it was going to happen. You were worried about it from the minute they started the fucking scene. And they just delivered like it was so well done. Um but it was fucking dark, yeah. Super disturbing. <laughs> it was really disturbing. Oh my god. Yeah, that's well said, Ben. The whole th- yeah, the whole thing was, and and you know when when Vogelbaum's talking about like raising babies without their mothers and how they turn into like angry, not well adjusted people, like he nailed it, and you could totally see it start, you know, coming out like from the whole thing when he starts like you know sucking on her boobs and then like they're having sex and like I mean it was like wow, mm. just twisted. There's also clearly jealousy between Homelander and the baby. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Yes. And, 
and he ends up the baby ends up getting blown up by C four in the last scene, which is like it doesn't really happen on screen, obviously, but like he brings the baby down from upstairs and she's freaking out the whole time and he's just like, Yeah, just put the baby over here. Like Homelander knows the whole time that the scene is only gonna go one way. Oh my god. Because he's the only immortal wow, person I didn't in the room. Think about that. So he's just like, I don't care about the C four, you know? So he's you know, even he's even competing with the baby while he, you know, the Oedipus kind of mother thing is sitting there with C4 strapped to her chest. Wow. I don't even know what to say. I didn't even think about that baby. It just, I mean, it's so like, I mean, you know, Chad, like, I, I can't, it's, uh, that's awful, man. Wow. I didn't even think about the baby dying or like the whole competition with the baby thing. But like, that makes it even more sick that the baby died. Like, yeah. Just, just to chime in here, because it's, I think, critical to the, the you know giving credit where credit's due stillwell is a vanilla plain jane corporate dude in the comic book who has no real relationship with homelander oh wow like it was just the most cliche bullshit right and the showrunner and the writers have chosen to go much better direction the whole motherly oedipus complex you know elizabeth shoe thing with the show and it's just like a hundred times better Except that we are now robbed of Elizabeth Shue. Like, sure, but that was an incredible arc for the two characters. The Homelander and Elizabeth Shue as mother son thing was just like incredibly twisted and and really just like brings Homelander's craziness to life. I get it, but again, we are now without Elizabeth Shue. I mean, let's <laughs> do the list: Karate Kid. Hamlet to the saint. Yeah. <laughs> it's Elizabeth Shue. And now we have no shoe, man. Like, how could you kill off Elizabeth Shue right. in the first season? It makes no sense. Pretty rough. It's the Ned Stark moment of, of season one. Well, I, w- I would say to that, at least it wasn't done um, lightly. You know, it was done. Yeah, exactly. Like, really, you know, like. Of all the things that happened, <laughs> and there's a lot of things that I have a lot of notes here, and there's a lot of like funny shit, you know. Like, and we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about like the the major plot arcs, essentially, I guess, and and the stuff that's like maybe the most disturbing. Um, that was the most disturbing thing. Was yeah, like like I couldn't believe that he turned on her that way. Like I didn't, I kind of knew it was coming, but I didn't want to believe it was coming. And when it happened. I was just like devastated. Like it, it, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's good fucking drama, man. That's good. <laughs> that's good TV. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. Most other shows would have gone another way with it, not had the balls to commit to something as yeah. heavy duty. Yeah. And I think, I think it meant a lot to, to the evolution of the character of Homelander because we knew he was a piece of shit. We knew he was, we knew he was a self absorbed, you know, kind of uh sociopath like i mean that the, the whole fucking airplane scene where like you know oh dude that let's <laughs> we talk about that for a second plane scene is so heavy there's so many things that happen with homelander and he's such a fucking awful human being he's just not a fucking good person but he's scary he's such a fucking scary character um anthony star was terrific like he played it so good absolutely expertly played expertly played i agree 
All right, I'm done. (laughs) 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 I took it in a direction. I'm sorry, folks. Um, I hope it was a good direction. Don't be sorry. Where, uh, where do we go from here? We we sort of like we're kind of going from from the back to the front now. So where do we go from here? I think we could we could circle back real quick. Like, um, we could rattle a few things off. So circling back to the actual opening of the season, I think the opening scene the opening scene was perfect in the sense that masterful. The first couple minutes is like an action sequence where Maeve and Homelander take out some robbers and some kids take some selfies, and it's like a traditional action opener for an action movie. And you're like, okay, it's exactly what you expect. And then the next scene is Huey in the store talking to his girlfriend, Robin, and then Robin gets, like, blown up in slow motion. And I think, like, that opening action sequence of being exactly what you expect and the explosion of poor Robin being exactly what you don't expect, like, it just, like, it was a perfect one-two punch to open the whole thing up. And right, but like, you got wow, the order wrong, the Chad. type of show I was expecting. Chad, you got the order wrong. It's, it's she dies, then they stop the robbers. Mm, no, pretty sure that's not the case. First ever disagreement <laughs> um, in this episode. Everybody dies. No, the whole thing open doesn't it open on? Oh Jesus, you're right. No, sorry. Yeah, you're right. It opens on the robbery. Yeah, no, it opens with like a Vought commercial and then goes straight to a, a robbery. Um, an interesting factoid about that opening scene with the robbery: the way they filmed it, they filmed a truck hitting a steel pole and then they green screened in Maeve in the exact same spot and added in, you know, sort of wind effects, whatever. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because that was a really cool, like the one thing I can say about the opening was that it had all of, like, like you said, it had the one, two punch you needed to, you know, to like establish like the awesome power of these heroes. Right. To make you love Robin and Huey uh, to the point that, you know, by the time we're five minutes in and he's holding her hands and that's all that's left of her, you're like, you're connected, man. And you really feel it. Like I, You're just I, like, holy shit. <laughs> you're so blown away. I mean, the way they did that in slow motion when she died was just brilliant, man. And, you know, we can, we don't have to segue into this right now, but like it was the beginning of what is a incredibly gory, gory, I mean, at times, absolutely disgusting. Like, where I was like, even, I was like, wow, that is over the top, or wow, that is gross, or, you know, I, you know what I mean? Like, it was it was gross. Yeah, they, they did not... They did not back off on the gore at any point. Nah, man. <laughs> they did not pull one single punch. Yes, it was. It was. It was a wholehearted decision uh, to go with that in this series. It's almost more realistic that way, you know. Definitely. So often in in action movies, they kind of poo poo a gunshot wound or something, but like it would be a hell of a lot of gore, you know. <laughs> so like it was disturbing, but I kind of feel like it it was almost one of the more realistic elements of the show in a way. You know, if you get like a freaking baby with laser eyes cutting people in half, it's going to be messy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's going to be messy. Or, or when Popclaw crushes somebody's skull with her ass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was so fucked. 
<laughs> Fuck. Jesus Christ, man. It, it was gross because it was so it was so um vivid. I mean, like you could see every detail, like the guy's head, like literally failing, like the structural integrity of that guy's head failing. And then like the head opening up and then like the insides pouring out. And then like, you could even see like they did a wide shot after that and you could see the remains of the guy's cranium. And I was just like, this is so like explicit, man. Like, Oh, it was awful. It was like, it was like in, you know what it was like? It was reminiscent of, in terms of its um, explicitness, when Peter Weller's character of Murphy in the original RoboCop gets pretty much his arms and legs blown off. Like, that was so violent. Like, I... Oh, yeah. It was... Yeah. It was so violent that my dad even, like, forbade us from watching that. He was like, that is too much. No. And he he wouldn't let us watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It was so violent that they, I think it had an X rating or something and they had to do another cut or something like that, didn't they? I think so, yeah. I think you're right. Well, that's possible, man. Paul Verhoeven, Paul Verhoeven movies are were always like that. He was always about like, you know, the the realism of the intensity of the violence and you know, whether he was over the top or not is you know, everybody's own each opinion is everybody's Jesus, I can't speak. You know what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. Um I think that that's what it was reminiscent of, like this that level of like gore and violence, and like you know, even when she opens up the the case that's made of zinc uh, that Homelander can't see through, and you can just see like a the little teeny bit of the bag is open, and you can see like bones and like all this viscera from like the the remains of translucent and i was like god man yeah they didn't fuck around with it they they didn't they didn't hold it back like you you couldn't you know <laughs> i was like okay i guess this is what it is yeah for sure it's crazy yeah to be honest i am queasy about shit like that like serious graphic yeah violence and and like you know like gore rightly so i am not a huge fan but i kind of understood why they went with that direction for this particular show. I think, you know, like it's like a character in the show, like the, the, the level of detail and the violence and, and such, um, it's sort of part of how the story is told, you know, it's, it's well, it, uh, it adds well to the story, Ben. I mean, it's like, you can't, it, it, it only, it's a, yeah, right. Like, it's like it couldn't be done another way. Like, you need to do it that way so that you, you fucking get it, you know? Um, well, it lends enough punch to a story in a way that, like, 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 I mean, look, like last week we talked about Escape from New York and how, like, they tried to build tension and failed at every single turn. And, like, in the beginning of the film, as we're watching Pliskin get shuffled through the facility, like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis says over the intercom, you know, if you'd like to be cremated. <laughs> Please report to your nearest <laughs> staff sergeant. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. your staff sergeant or whatever. And it's like, you know, they said that purely for shock value. And it's like so many movies have done that, but none have achieved that like this show has, I think. And from my personal experience, like, I mean, I've seen plenty of movies where they're trying to be shocking to be like, you know, to really like, you know, sort of punch you in your psyche. And it's like, it doesn't really work. Like it, Paul Verhoeven did it. And then this show and to me anyway, and that's, that's about where I land end up with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's, 
there's a there's different ways to do it you know you can you can convey things by sort of like you know what's what's shocking is what you don't see you know like there's ways to do it that way but that's really sophisticated and sometimes it doesn't really it doesn't do the job right so sometimes the way to do it is just be really graphic you know <laughs> and and but there's an art form to that you know like and i think they did it really well in this show um there's an art form to being really graphic and sometimes you just have to really be blood and guts about violence to make it um you know and and you had mentioned paul verhoven like that's a really great example it's like you can you can make shit scary or disturbing by something that you don't see but sometimes you can make shit scary and disturbing by what you do see definitely um mm. It's definitely a beat the audience over the head kind of technique, but I appreciate that. You know, I mean, I like I like directness and honesty in filmmaking. So when somebody can do it, I mean, you know, we've all seen terrible, uh, you know, horrible like horror movies like that are just all gore and you know, like it's just, it's like a spectacle and like it doesn't have any emotional impact on you. Of course, this this series this this show did a lot of gore, but it had a fucking emotional impact on you. You know what I mean? Like it was done correctly. So it was, it was worth the, sh it was worth the shock value in my opinion, I guess is, is what I'm going to say on that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And just to touch on what you were saying a second ago, like it had a lot of in your face gore and it also had some off screen stuff. So, you know, implying that, um, Vogelbaum or whatever his name was, right? Was yeah, you're right. Killed. You're right. That was yeah. off screen. The baby's death was off screen. So like, it was a bit of a mixture of the two. Which it was definitely more dominant on the gore, and I think it it lends itself to your previous comment about how terrifying Homelander was. Like, I think the gore succeeded in and was meant to aid in terrifying you because I feel like the the key to the to the show in terms of how you react to it, is that the idea of a superhero gone bad is a terrifying thing. Like, it's terrifying, terrifying. to think of what people like that would be able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you're you're right. They did do they did do a blend of things, but I think they did... Um, it wasn't, you know, like... I guess what I, I, guess what I want to say is, like, the, the gore the, it was, was plentiful, but I don't think it was gratuitous. You know what I mean? It was... It was part of the storytelling and it was done really well. And it was done in a way that made that was trying to evoke an emotional reaction from the viewer, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a kudos to the, to the, uh, to the, to the storytelling and the direction of the entire series. Um, yeah. And a place where there was no gore, but a lot of emotional reaction was the plane scene. Like there was, there was no real gore there, and in the letting them fly down, and Maeve and Homelander floating in the air while the plane plummets was just like, it really hammered that emotional moment home without really having to go to the gory place. So I, I agree, it wasn't gratuitous. They chose to use gore in interesting places, and then they didn't use it in other places where it wasn't needed. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't overdone. I don't think it was overdone. I think it was perfect. I think it was. Uh... You know, sometimes something is really good because it's a little challenging to watch it, you know? And uh, and I think this this struck that balance, you know? Like, it was, it was like, I'll, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Fucking Homelander was really disturbing, really scary. And they 
used every little thing to make that believable. What was your reaction to the plane scene the first time you you watched it, Kev? Uh, I I don't really need to say anything else. You guys pretty much said it all. I mean, it was just you could tell, like just in and around when he blasted the terrorist and and then blasted the control panel of the plane. He was just like, okay, we're done here. I mean, when he says we're done here, it's like, you know, like I knew right, right away what he meant. I was like, my God, dude, you know? And then, and then Maeve, you know, she's got, her soul is not corrupted and she's desperately trying to like figure out a way, but you know, he's right. I mean, he's like, he's like, what, take these two so they can tell everybody how the, we abandoned the rest of these people. That was the point where you, f- I think you really see for the first time that he's, or maybe, maybe not the first time that he really just does not, he is not concerned with the greater good. No, but he also twists it into it to his own benefit, which it wasn't until the second time I watched it, I picked up on it. But at the end of that episode is when Homelander's standing on the bluff looking out at the wreckage and kind of like gets on the news camera, like kind of teary eyed and saying like, we're going to find out who did this and kick their ass. And it wasn't until the second time I watched it that I realized that it was a direct throwback to George Bush on the rubble of nine 11 saying, we're going to go find who this was and kick their ass. And it was an interesting choice. And Oh my God. Wow. That is interesting. It was an interesting way to, for him to show even more, of a psychosis for him where he was just like, ah, they're all dead, whatever. I'm going to go and jump on the camera and pretend like this is someone else's fault and use it to our Vought's advantage. Right. I thought it was a, uh, an interesting choice for them to make him like, uh, you know, to make him seem as though he's like a, a right wing Christian sort of uh, conservative, you know, um, extremist. Um, right. Like, like, his whole uh his whole thing you know uh that that whole setup with um you know uh, Ezekiel the uh you know pray the gay away gay yeah the Jesus camp thing Jesus camp thing and and uh, you know like Starlight like totally blows it and tries to tell the truth and you know like but like the only person that was like really all on board there was Homelander. It's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find these motherfuckers and I'm going to kill them because, you know, God is good. You know, like, like he totally pulls this, like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, right wing Christian talk radio. Yeah. Character. Like he, he, he pulls that like he, that's like what he's supposed, that's his, that's what he wanted to do. You know, you know, uh, I don't want to get into politics, but I thought it was bizarre that they made that a thing. I think it was, I think it was, uh, another example of him choosing that particular strategy, uh, as a way to get his, get his way. Like, I, I don't take it as that's what he thinks. I think it's just like, I'm apple pie, all American kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he was, he was, he was, uh, he was insistent about being like, these are my people, you know, and I guess, I guess you're probably right, you know, like, just like, (laughs) just like anybody else in that arena. They're like, oh, these are my people. Like, they're gonna, they're gonna support me if I go ahead and say, like, you know, yeah, fuck these, you know, fuck these fucking jihadis or whatever. I'm, you know, we're going after them. Ah." You got any, uh, thoughts, Kev? 
You want to touch on Starlight at Jesus Camp or no? Yeah, we can talk about that. I mean, I wanted to sort of also, I mean, I don't know, man. It's like we could go on and it's late. This one might require a two-parter because there's a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about that had nothing to do with any of this stuff, but it's sort of, we, we kind of like went from the back to the front. So let's let's pick it up next week. For sure. I think there's a lot more to cover. Yeah, definitely. I got a lot more to talk about on some of the funnier bits and the less serious bits. So I think that'd be great. Well, yeah, I, I know. And I want to talk about the music and there's a lot of, a bunch of other things I want to talk about. Well, and I want to talk about how many times Carl Urban says cunt in this show. Because my current count <laughs> yeah, totally. is uh, 45,632. So. Um, you counted too? I counted. That's what I got. Yeah. Let's, let's say goodbye to the folks at home and say tune in next week for the second part of our sort of uh, ultra dissecting of uh, the boys. So long for now. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Love you guys. Good night. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to be talking about the boys again, as there was so much material to go over. Me and the boys felt that we just didn't have enough time. You can find the show notes for today's episode in your podcast app of choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 21. You can shoot us questions using the Twitter hashtag AskEBD. You can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. That's M-O-H-L-V-E-R-I-N-E. Chad is at Chad Normal on Twitter. Ben is at Jarhego on Twitter. That's J-A-R-H-E-E-G-O. I'd like to take a minute and thank you so much for tuning into the show. It means the world to the boys and I. If you'd like to support the show, there are two great ways to do it. First, by rating and reviewing on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or you can tell someone to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.